Now, here's something that I, I pull out of that. What Israel did not realize was that by forsaking the temple, they not only diminished their testimony of God before others, they also weakened their faith in their Redeemer God. They were saying, God, we can't trust in you to give the support that you required from us. So we're not going to do that. But it diminished their testimony before others, those who were not part of the Jewish faith. But it also weakened, I believe, their faith in their Redeemer, God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. This year we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and so it brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 this morning. I titled this, An Imposter or an Apostle. Here in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul continues to answer questions from the Corinthian believers. And one question seemed to doubt Paul's apostleship. Was he truly an apostle of Jesus Christ or was he an an imposter? Well, it must have been heartbreaking for Paul to have to defend his divine calling as an apostle. But I believe Paul was used to doing it. Still, to defend himself before unbelievers was one thing, but to defend himself before those he had helped to bring to faith in Jesus Christ, that must have been heartbreaking for Paul. Yet this is where we find Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. So I'm glad that the Holy Spirit has included this passage in the Bible because it speaks about the importance of a minister's calling, but also those who support his ministry. So today we're going to look at an imposter or an apostle from 1 Corinthians 9 verses 1 through 14. And we find in the first point, verses 1 through 3, the seal of Paul's apostleship. Then in verses 4 through 7, the defense of apostolic privileges. And then verses 8 through 14, God's designated provision. And so, Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts to receive from your word this morning. And Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, it is... um, just unbelievable to us to see what's happening throughout our nation too. So we pray, Lord, that you would bring healing upon our world. But we also pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take advantage of the hearts of people 
who no longer can do the normal things that they had once done, I pray, Lord, that people would begin to look inward and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Or believers who had once known you, that they would come back to you and walk with you once again. It is our prayer and our hope. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And finally, our last point, verses 8 through 14, God's designated provision. In verse 8, Paul speaks about scriptural support. Everything he had just talked about, he starts using the Bible now to defend that which he has previously written. And I think this is important for us as well, that we are able to use the word of God to defend our faith in Jesus Christ. It's good to be able to say, thus says the Lord, and not to say, well, this is my opinion, because we discover in our world today that there are a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about a lot of different things. But if we're able to stand upon the word of God and simply say, well, this is what the word of God says. And here Paul is doing that. He said in verse eight, do I say these things as a mere man or does not the law say the same also? Understanding the importance of the authority of God's word, Paul supports his three examples taken from life, that of a soldier, a viticulturist and a shepherd. He supports these with scriptural truths. We live in a day and age where truth concerning Jesus and his work of salvation has been greatly distorted. Therefore, we must be able to reason and persuade concerning the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ by using the word of God. Let the word of God stand. It is not what I say, but what does God's word say? Isaiah 55:11 tells us, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me. It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In verses 9 and 10, he continues, For it is written in the law, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. That's from Deuteronomy 25.4. Is it the ox or oxen? God is concerned about, Paul asked, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes should in hope be partakers of his hope. The Mosaic Law states that the ox that walked in an endless circle around uh, a post treading grain for humans could freely eat of the grain that he was treading. You didn't muzzle him to keep him from eating. As you can imagine, an animal treading grain for human consumption does bring about some questions of sanitation. Well, way back, one of the founding fathers of our country, George Washington, he dealt with this issue in this way. Back in the days of George Washington, there were two main ways that they would thresh grain, either by hand, which was slow and backbreaking, or by having horses trample on it. But once again, horses trampling on the grain, you would think, although much faster, not very sanitary. And so to solve this problem, George Washington built a 16-sided barn 
where he could have a team of horses running in a circle on the second level of this barn. He made them run that it would keep them from urinating and defecating on the grain. So that's a good thing. But there were slats in the floor that would cause the grain to uh, go down to the first floor that they could uh, collect the grain itself. It was simple, it was practical, and it was a good invention that kept that contamination from taking place. But Paul adds a deeper lesson to think about. I, I think about reading that passage of oxen treading grain, and my mom, we used to call her Mrs. Clean, and she would have had a big problem with that. Paul applied a deeper lesson to the oxen treading grain which can be applied to all labor that anyone does, whether plowing or threshing, a labor works in hope of partaking in the harvest, whatever his work might be. You work in order to partake in. And today we might say we work to get a paycheck. We may not actually use the product that we build or make, but we work in order that we can support ourselves and support our family. Again, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. 2 Timothy 2, verses 6 and 7, The hardworking farmer must first be to partake of the crop. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so then we find Paul's personal position Although he argues for the right of support, Paul often did not take that support. In verse 11, he said, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things? So since Paul, Silas, Timothy, and others, Barnabas, he names in this passage, had ministered spiritual truth to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, there in the church of Corinth specifically he's writing to, they should have naturally been able to reap physical support from the Corinthian believers. He said, is it a great thing? It's the word from the Greek that we get mega from. And it speaks about something of great weight or importance. Is it a great thing? Verse 11 could have been read like this. Since we have imparted spiritual truths to you, does it seem strange that we should reap material benefits from you? Material things. It's a Greek word that refers to that which is associated with or pertaining to the flesh. We have ministered spiritual things to you, and so it should be that you should minister physical things to us, help support our ministry. Galatians 6.6, 6, Let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Paul states it that way in Galatians 6.6, 6, Those who are taught the word by a preacher, then in turn share all good things with him who is doing the teaching. In verse 12, if others are partaker of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he goes back to the others, the apostles that he was using earlier in his argument. If they can partake in this right over you, shouldn't we, the ones who have helped bring you to faith in Jesus Christ, do so even more? And then he says, yet we have not used this right, but we do not want to hinder 
the gospel of Christ. Since the Corinthians had provided for other teachers their physical provision, shouldn't the ones who led them to faith in Jesus Christ, like Peter and his ministry team, also be able to reap those material benefits from the church there in Corinth? Yet Paul chose not to do so. He did not want to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, taught his pastors that they should live within the means of their people. And yet there are times when a pastor may choose to keep his income low within the church or even non-existent within the church. My dad pastored a church in Zion, Illinois, when I was uh, from the age of 12 to 23. He pastored that fellowship, my age of 12 to 23, not my dad. But he pastored a church in Zion, Illinois, and right after they had bought land, built a new building, uh, our country went into an economic recession, a pretty severe recession at that time. Because of the recession, two factories closed in our area right here in Lake County that caused some of the key leadership within our fellowship to get relocated in other parts of our country. So they lost key membership within their fellowship. This resulted in years of struggle for our fellowship. But because my dad had a full-time job where he worked at a factory his whole life, up to about two months before he passed away, but because he had this full-time job, he often would take the check that he received from the church, the weekly pay that he received, and he'd just sign it over back to the church because the need was so great. Sometimes it's necessary to do that, to keep the work, support the ministry that you've been part of. My dad was a great example of this in my own life. In Acts 20, verse 35, Paul said, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We get to verse 13. We find priests and preachers. He gives two more examples. The sons of Aaron, the priest, he said in verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. So without quoting a scripture, Paul points to the Mosaic law. And really thinking about the day and age that he lived in and also uh, there in Corinth where they had a temple that worshipped false gods. A temple there in Corinth that history records that they bragged about the thousand temple prostitutes that served at that temple. Whether a Jewish temple or a pagan temple, there were similar provisions given to those who ministered the holy things. In Judaism, this would speak about the Levites who helped serve alongside the priest. And those who served at the altar, this would speak about the sons of Aaron or the priest. In Judaism, we find that the Levites were those who ministered the holy things. And once again, the priest from the line of Aaron were those who served at the altar. In Leviticus 6.18, Scripture tells us, All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. 
concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord, everyone who touches them must be holy. God's provision for the sons of Aaron, whether they were serving alongside the priests as the Levites or the priests themselves, they were provided for by the offerings that came into the temple. Now, as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a time when after the Babylonian captivity, after the temple had been rebuilt in Jerusalem and Nehemiah came to restore the wall of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 13 that Nehemiah was called back to the king Artaxerxes. He was called back to Persia. And it was after he came back from Persia to Jerusalem that he discovered that while he was gone, the children of Israel had stopped paying their tithes to the temple. As the storerooms became empty, many of the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and even the priests had to return to the fields to support their families. And so Nehemiah writes for us in Nehemiah 13, 11, and 12, So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Now here's something that I, I pull out of that. What Israel did not realize was that by forsaking the temple, they not only diminished their testimony of God before others, they also weakened their faith in their Redeemer God. They were saying, God, we can't trust in you to give the support that you required from us. So we're not going to do that. But it diminished their testimony before others, those who were not part of the Jewish faith. But it also weakened, I believe, their faith in their Redeemer, God. And so our last verse today, Preachers of the Gospel, verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And this is tied to Jesus sending out his disciples as short-term missionaries. We find in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, that Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of heaven, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. And Jesus said, since I have enabled you to do this, to serve others freely, I have enabled you, therefore serve without charge. But then he said that how they were to act on their journey in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 10, provide neither gold or silver or copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, don't take an extra coat, nor sandals, don't take extra shoes, nor staffs, take only one staff, for the worker is worthy of his food. As they came into a new city, Jesus said that they were to look for a worthy host and greet that household with peace. These hosts, these worthy hosts then, along with their household, would support Jesus's disciples while they remained in that city, ministering to the people there, providing lodging, providing meals for them. In Acts 16, 15, we find an example of this through a woman named Lydia, where Paul said when Lydia and her household were baptized, she begged us to stay, saying, 
If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. We find a great example of it there with Lydia. That she said, you brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I would like to help you and support your ministry. Here's the thing that, as I related earlier to the Jews of Nehemiah's day, when they stopped supporting uh, the tithe at the temple, it caused the laborers there at the temple, the Levites and the priests, to go back into the fields to earn uh, food for their family. The same thing is true for Christians. When they stop supporting their local churches, it not only diminishes their testimony of Jesus before others, it also weakens their faith in their Redeemer, Jesus. So today we've seen in this message the question, an imposter or an apostle? Paul arguing his apostleship to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. Our first point, the seal of Paul's apostleship, verses 1 through 3. All believers should be able to defend their faith, and Paul did it in three simple verses of Scripture. Our second point, verses 4 through 7, the defense of the apostolic privileges, whether a full-time pastor or bivocational pastor, whatever ministry we might have, it's important for us to have been called by God, and, and Paul defends his call by God. I think that is an important thing for all of us to know our calling, to know uh, our position, our faith that we have. And finally, God's designated provision, verses 8 through 14. And just this thought, when Christians stop supporting their local churches, they not only diminish their testimony of Jesus before others, they also, I believe, weaken their faith in their Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That, again, a hard subject for me to preach on because our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, taught us as Calvary Chapel pastors, if God's guiding, God is providing. I was talking to a friend of mine in California who pastors a church of about the same size of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. And he has, for most of this year, been unable to receive a paycheck. And I was talking to him and I said, you know, perhaps we need to start thinking differently about how churches are supported or receiving an income. That, again, I talked to him about going beyond our fellowship and reaching out to others that they might help bring support as missionaries do. I do not want to take away support from missionaries, but I also uh, think it's horrible that churches are closing in our communities. And so I would encourage you to consider the churches around you, perhaps that pastor that you know that has just been doing a good work for the Lord. And you know the church is solid, and you know that they perhaps are struggling. Perhaps could you lend support to that fellowship? It doesn't have to be our church, but it's a challenge that's been on my heart. I don't know how we apply these things, but it truly is a challenge that's been on my heart. I just wanted to share that with you today. Also, before I close, the importance of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, first and foremost, that's where it begins. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would challenge you today to give your heart to him. All you need to do is to confess your sins before the Lord. And the Bible tells us if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. 
It is my prayer that you know Jesus as your Savior. And if you have prayed a prayer of salvation today, would you email us that we could correspond with you at cclv at comcast.net? We would love to hear from you. Also, if you have drifted away from the Lord and the Lord is calling you back, again, would you let us know that your heart is being pricked by the gospel of Jesus Christ once again? May it be that even though you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, may they be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that it would in such a way feel like that you've been born again again, that the fresh work is so new that it just grabs your heart in a fresh way. Not that you're resaved, but that you're just home and you know it. Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, and that you would help us to live Christ in the current circumstances of our lives. Lord, I would pray that you would help us to be your voice to those who are in need of hope. Lord, help us to live faith. It is my prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God